I'm Helen Farmer and this is your chance to hear the latest Farmer's Kitchen brought to you by Spinney's Talking Food, Glorious Food from homegrown heroes to international superstars. And Dibba Bay Oysters has recently won a really important certification. We were lifting the lid on this Fajera phenomenon with the founder and CEO, Ramey Murray. Chef Lily of Vietnamese Foodies was on hand talking about the flavour profile of her home country and how you could be learning as well. Plus, Chef Atif of Mango Tree Thai Bistro was on hand talking about the essentials you need to have in your cupboard and a masterclass that he's cooking as well. And speaking of food and those behind it, Jill Ockers is the culinary director at Tasha's Group, the woman responsible for four very beloved brands here in the UAE. So what happens behind the scenes? How do you build a brand and what item on the menu would they never get rid of? Talking hyper-realistic cakes and Lindsay of the tasting class on hand with some top tips for entertaining at home. The Chef's Table delighted to be joined live in the studio now by chef Lily Nugan. She's the founder and exec chef at Vietnamese Foodies and I have to say a real homegrown hero story Lily. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? I am good. It's great to have you with us. Um, I first had Vietnamese food from Vietnamese Foodies and I think for a long time Dubai was quite underserved with that cuisine and you're on a bit of a personal mission to, to turn that around and for people who aren't familiar with how it all got started, you moved to Dubai and started doing classes. Tell us about what that, pardon the pun, appetite was like from, from some of the clients. We moved to Dubai in 2016 following my husband's work assignment. And previously in Istanbul, I actually started a small cooking class in um, Istanbul called Vietnamese Foodies. And when we moved to Dubai, I would uh, like to continue with that little hobby of mine. So we started with Vietnamese foodies cooking class. First, it was a once a week class, and then it became twice a week. And every weekend, our kitchen will be filled with people Strangers. who came <laughs> yeah. to learn how to make pho and rice paper rolls. And up to a point, my husband was not able to access his kitchen at all during the weekend. Mm-hmm. And he starts saying, how about we find you someplace mm-hmm. else to cook? So that's how um, we started with a small little restaurant in JLT, Cluster D. Um, and it was the first branch and it was the first restaurant that I ever ran in my life. Luckily, we've got a lot of support from foodies mm-hmm. in Dubai and in UAE. So um, soon after that, we opened our second branch in downtown in Bush Vista Tower. And 2019 was the year that um, Vietnamese foodies kind of discover a different place in people's um, mind. We are no longer a small little cafe on the street side. We are in a proper dining space. And we would like to continue to um, provide that experience as well as fresh, tasty Vietnamese food. And I remember when we first opened um, the restaurant in JLT, um, there was an interview with a journalist and she said, do you see yourself um, opening more restaurants in Dubai? Mm-hmm. And I what said, did you say? I said, I would like to see one day that each neighborhood in Dubai will have their own fur restaurant. 
and their own uh, sandwich stall. And somehow, slowly, it is becoming a reality. It's, as you said, this quote, little hobby is now a bit of an empire. We've got five branches now. You're open in Dubai Hills Mall, which is doing incredibly well. So it's interesting to think back then to that JLT. You know, what did success look like then? And that was presumably having full tables and full tummies and supporting your staff. And now, well... Who knows? Why do you think Vietnamese food has been so embraced by the Dubai foodie scene? I think Vietnamese foodies um, feel a need for authentic, fresh and tasty Vietnamese food. Mm -hmm. Um, We always try to offer Vietnamese food the way that it is cooked in Vietnam to people using the freshest ingredient and traditional cooking technique. We don't try to dress up our food, but we would always try to um, make food the most important element in any location that we are, straightforward, um, with bone broth, with um, noodles and fresh herbs, as much fresh ingredients as we can bring in. And I think that's what people support us the most mm-hmm. about because um, that is not something that many are um, doing. And not, not prioritizing. I also say I think it's really good value what you do. The, the portions are fantastic. Price point is great. Can you explain a little bit about the flavor profiles in Vietnamese food? What do you think makes it unique when you're thinking about in combining ingredients in that authentic way? We always try to... Um, offer something that is really well-rounded and balanced in flavors. So our food is never too spicy or too sweet or too sour, but it is rather a um, well-rounded palate with um, umami, with sweetness, with spiciness and saltiness um, all together. And nothing is over-empowering, mm. nothing is overwhelming. Um, like other cuisines are. A great question here um, from Harry saying, what do you need to have in your cupboard at home to make great Vietnamese food? That is a great question. And I know your kitchen's going to be very different to you know the likes of mine or people listening today, but do you feel like there are any particular ingredients or products that can work together to help you, you know, get there on the Vietnamese flavour front? Um, I would say find a good fish sauce. Um, there are... Um, Many different brands uh, you can find in supermarkets or specialty store in Dubai. Um, my favorite one is the Blue Dragon from Park and Shop. And fish sauce can be used in many different ways. You can use it to make a dipping sauce. You can use it to marinate. You can use it to season a soup or a stir fry. Ah, and also don't forget oyster sauce. So... Yeah. Um, fish sauce, oyster sauce and lots of fresh ingredients such as um, coriander, um, basil and mint and um, lots of fresh vegetables. Bit of chilli in there as well for a bit of, of a course, kick. But not everybody likes chilli. <laughs> <laughs> We're a spicy bunch. Lily's with us this afternoon. She is the founder, exec chef at Vietnamese Foodies. If you've got any questions for her, by all means, do get in touch. Up next, we talk about Vietnamese food for kids. And could there be some more cooking classes in the future? The Chef's Table. 
Joining us today is Lily Mugan. She is the founder and executive chef at Vietnamese Foodies and what started with cookery classes at home soon grew very quickly indeed to something of an empire and they've just opened the new branch at Dubai Hills Mall. We were just talking there that record numbers of people coming through the mall, the cinemas opened and some very busy restaurants indeed. So a question here saying, um, are there dishes for vegetarians? We have many vegetarian as well as vegan option in the menu of all our branches. And one of the favorite dishes uh, that vegans always order are our vegan fur made with a vegan broth and um, mushroom tofu broccolis and um, lotus root. Oh, yum. Go try it. Um, and what about the kids? Because mine are famously fussy and I would love them to be, exp- you know, whether you're traveling or you're just going to the mall to eat, to introduce them to some different cuisines and flavors. How do you manage that? You're a mum yourself and obviously a very passionate and talented chef. Um, how do you introduce kids, do you think, and how are you doing it at the restaurant? Kids love our chicken satay as well as the pad thai stir fry. I think I found so many um, noodle lovers in children mm. as well as the crispy spring roll. Those are hits with children at Vietnamese foodies. You mentioned sandwiches before and please excuse my ignorance. I hadn't realised until I looked. Actually, I think I was looking to order some food from you to come for lunch here. And I was like, baguettes. Vietnam and like it just I made it was a total disconnect I ended up ordering one which was the duck sandwich and it was amazing tell us a little bit about that relationship between baguette and Vietnam and and how you I guess play play tribute to that fusion on the menu Mm, Vietnamese baguette or banh mi is a heritage from the French people when they were in Vietnam between um, 1800 and 1900. So we learn how to bake baguette from the French people and then we fusion it up by adding in our pesto sauce and our chicken liver pate as well as many of the um, saucy and savory fillings um, such as lemongrass grilled chicken, mm. hoisin grilled duck and crispy cream dory fish. And on top of that, in true Vietnamese style, we had to add our herbs and our uh, cucumber as well as pickled vegetables. So I, I would say it is a perfect marriage between the French baguette and the Vietnamese style of eating. And it is uh, easy uh, lunch to take away anytime um, or anywhere. It was delicious. And you're baking the bread yourself as well. We do the bread in-house, so we uh, proof it for 24 hours in the, in the chiller and then we bake it fresh every morning. Now, before I let you get back, because I know Fridays are busy for chefs, especially when you've got new restaurants <laughs> opening, um, you've got cooking classes, you, you're bringing them back. What are you going to be making and who are they for, Lily? Next week, we are celebrating the um, Mid-Autumn Festival and um, to celebrate with families and children, we are organized a series of mooncake making workshop at our new Dubai Hills branch. It is completely free. You just need to register by sending us an Instagram direct message or a WhatsApp message to register for your children. It's between three to five 
every weekday of next week and we'll be making mooncakes. Love the sound of that. Thank you so much for coming in, sparing some time, making us very hungry indeed. And uh, I'll see you, I'll see you there. I might send the kids along. Lily, thank you so, so much. The Chef's Table. From Vietnam to Thailand, now joining us live in the studio is the award-winning chef, Chef Atith. He's the head chef at Mango Tree Thai Bistro at the Hilton uh, Dubai Jumeirah. And uh, he's even brought some food in. Chef, how are you this afternoon? Uh, good afternoon. Sabadika. I'm really good, thank you. Now, most important question is when I lived in downtown, there was a Mango Tree restaurant there. And I became, um, I think obsessed would be a fair description with one of the curries there. It was a roasted duck red curry with pineapple and it was served in half a pineapple. So before we start talking about you and all the masterclasses and Thai flavours, my most important question is, should I allow you to stay in the studio? Is that duck curry still on the menu at Mango Tree? Yes, of course yes. we have it. It's one of the best dishes. It's very famous also in the the customer, the order on this. It's insanely good. I think it's got aubergine and cherry tomatoes in yes. it. Yes, okay. and pineapple. So good. So where did you grow up, Chef? I'm sorry? Where did you grow up? Where were you uh, born? Actually, myself is, uh, I'm born from Kampang uh, uh, and then I'm working in Pattaya and then I'm become a chef because of my uh, family and then I'm um, stay with my grandpa and auntie and mother teach me how to make the Thai food. And, and what kind of things were you trying as Actually, a young chef? Actually, when I'm back from the school, so I smell it, uh, the fever and smoking one, my mother and my grandpa cook some Thai food. Then I come to support and helping in the kitchen and then then I learn from the first thing, like a tom yum. Tom yum flavor. Very simply, we have mini garden and we take something ingredient we cook at home. You had a little garden, yes. so you were taking yeah. the fresh ingredients. Yes, fresh one. That see, I think for anyone who's around produce and understands seasonality and has that respect for the ingredients for just how fresh they can be and not really needing to do that much. So many people get into food through wanting to share that. Yeah. Um and Thai flavours. Can you explain maybe some of, of the products or ingredients that we as home chefs could perhaps have in our cupboards or in our fridges to be able to get some really authentic Thai flavours? Okay. If very simply, it's uh, in the local market everywhere here in Dubai. Simple, if you want to uh, cook tom yum. Okay. Very simply, easy to fry the in Thai ingredient like a lemongrass, garangan, Kaffir uh, lamb leaf or they call lemon leaf, something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, chili tomato and then some chili, uh, but I see the red one if you like spicy. So it's super one for the <laughs> tom yum. Okay. Oh, yum. Okay. Mal- There's something about Thai food that makes my mouth water. I think it's that mix of kind of salty, sour, sweet and that, that yeah. flavor profile. It's yeah. so... Sometimes it can be so subtle and, and so gentle, but sometimes it's just so warming and delicious. And it's no surprise how much people love Thai food. Yeah. You mentioned there that the duck curry is very popular with customers. What about you as a chef? When you look at the menu there at the Mango Tree Thai Bistro, is there a, is there a dish that you're really proud of? One that you feel like is you on a plate? People eat it and they're like, okay, now I understand mm-hmm. Chef Atif's food philosophy. Yeah, actually, if uh, if people t- uh, come to visit us in Mango Tree Thai Bistro, Hinton Dubai, the walk, so for sure, first they will think about Pad Thai. Mm-hmm. So, it's Pad Thai is uh, very famous in Thailand, plus the curry, like uh, you, as you say, the duck curry, that's a very popular one, so the people write it. So, 
if they talk about me, they always going for time. <laughs> okay, good. For sure. I need to try it. Now, you are going to be sharing your talents as well with yeah. um, a cookery class, a master class. What are people going to learn how to make? Actually, we why cooking class coming, master cooking class coming from Chef Atip because I try to pass message from my family, what I got it from them, and then try to pass pay, the our Pay it forward. Yeah. So what's that's on it. the menu? Yeah, that's why I add in the menu. Actually, we have like a simple, you can cook at home, uh, whatever ingredient you can find from a local market also, and also you can enjoy with activity at your family. Then you will know come uh, Asian and Thai food cuisine. You can learn how to spicy food level coming up. So if someone wants to learn how to cook with you, how do they do that? How can they sign up to to have a lesson? Uh, actually, you can uh, communicate with uh, our reception and uh, hostess. They have the WhatsApp number and number in the hidden Dubai the walk, and then you apply for that. Then we book for. Weekly Sunday we have for the two digits of the cooking class. What a lovely thing to do on a Sunday to have a cookery class and yeah, go home with some yeah. well with some food and some some new skills as well. Now, as I said at the top, you are an award-winning chef. You have won the prestigious Iron Chef Awards in Bangkok. You've also got Thai Chef of the Year. What does it mean to have that kind of recognition, Chef? Uh, about the Iron Chef, yes, uh, Iron Chef in Thailand competition. I uh, just challenge them with Iron Chef. They have in the China and in Thailand, and then I got the invite, and then we do competition for one hour, uh, five digits. Wow! What did you make? I make starter, uh, soup, uh, main course, and then uh, salad, something like that, and then we. In one hour. In one hour. Oh and my goodness. Two assistants, so including me three. <sighs> See, that's why you won it. Chef, thank you so much for coming in. Um, I'd be very happy to find those details out about the masterclasses. So if you do want that to go along to Mango Tree Thai Bistro there at the Hilton Dubai Jumeirah over there at the Walk JBR, then do get in touch with me on 4001. I'd be happy to send you the link. Chef, I always appreciate chefs coming into the studio, especially on a Friday when I know things do get a little bit hectic in the kitchen. So I'm going to let you get back to your team. Thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank See you, you in Mango Tree. Thank you so much. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We're speaking to one of the key members of the team now at Tasha's Group. Jill Ockers is the Culinary Director and one of those responsible for the flavours, the training, the restaurants um, at some of my favourite uh, brands, Tasha's, Avli, Flamingo Room, Galaxy Bar. She's worked in hospitality for over 15 years and has really done their absolute classic of working her way up through the ranks head chef private chef development chef she's also got a diploma in culinary arts she's a blogger a writer and is passionate about sustainability and i'm really excited to kind of pick your brains jill about some of the things that happen behind the scenes because as i said this is some of my favorite places to go in dubai how are you today good and you i'm really well apart from even talking to you off air is making me hungry because I'm being completely complete, don't 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 apologize because I think what you and the team have created there is not only this idea of kind of escapism whether it's you know the beautiful interior at flamingo room or this sense of you know not being in Dubai at Galaxy or being taken to South Africa at Tasha's and it's a weird thing to say that sometimes the best food experience you have in Dubai when you don't feel like you're here. <laughs> true, but true. I think it's it's so much more than just the food with, with those brands. It's that sense of 
occasion sometimes, but yeah. also it being this lovely, I don't know, like day-to-day luxury, I guess is the best way well, I can put it. That's that's good to know. Thank you. Now, my favourite dish at Flamingo Room <laughs> um, is actually one, one that my friend's really obsessed with. It's the Calamari Mozambique. And for anyone who's not familiar with this dish, and I've tried endlessly to try and describe it to people, can you describe it with your chef's hat on, what exactly this dish is and why you think people go mad for it? It's actually a dish that is inspired by Natasha's grandfather and how he used to cook for them when they were kids. Lucky Um, them. Yeah, lucky them. Um, And I think the key to it is that it's um, two sauces, both made in-house, not bought in or made at a production site um, and obviously made with love. <laughs> um, so that's a key factor. Mm-hmm. It's got like a lemony butter, but it also makes me think of coronation chicken for some reason. It's got like a kind of a, like a, a mild but warming spice. So, yeah. It's, Can it's you break a, it down It's, for it's us? a prego sauce that we make in house. Ah. So it's got its roots in a very Portuguese style res- uh, recipe. My mouth's honestly watering. <laughs> so you have this beautiful calamari, these two sauces, yes. and then a whole then, lot of shoestring yeah, fries the, the on top of it. The lemon butter that gets made on order, which is also a big thing for us, oh. fresh and on order. Um, the roasted tomatoes all get mixed in there, and then the calamari also gets cooked on order with its own special seafood seasoning. And Tammy's rumbling yes. across Dubai. <laughs> Jill, tell us a little about, a bit about you. What role did food kind of play in your childhood and what made you think that you wanted this to be, you know, your career, your, your, your passion? I think it was all about eating at a table. It was a big thing for us. Um, growing up with my grandparents being role models to what we would, you know, eating around the lunch table or the dinner table. Um, that was always a big thing for me. And seeing how it connects people, mm-hmm. how food brings people together. Um, one of my favorite things is cooking for people. And seeing them enjoy the food. That's um, interesting. So yeah. it's, it's not enough just to be proud of what you're putting out there. But I guess that kind of uh, the idea of having an open kitchen where you can see their reaction must be really special. Yeah, it is very special. Um, obviously started as a journalist because my dad didn't really want me to become a chef. Interesting. Um, you know, back in the day, it was very male dominated, long hours and nothing's changed. <laughs> um, so I did my journalism course and then sat my parents down and said, OK, I, I've done what you wanted me to do. I'm going to go and do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've never looked back. Can you explain what a culinary director does? <laughs> or what, um, what they don't do might be a shorter <laughs> list, Jill. No, I think it's just a bit of everything. It's making sure that Natasha's vision is on the plate. Mm-hmm. And being very protective of what we do for brand specific. Obviously, we've got a lot of brands within the group, Mm -hmm. but making sure that the DNA for each brand. And presumably consistency as well. If you're going to go and get, you know, my lovely teriyaki salmon that I always have at Tasha's, if it's going to be the same at each branch I go to. Yes. Consistency is key. And Mm -hmm. I think for us, it's also very important. And that's where the training comes in. Mm Um, we've got an amazing training team, but also because we do everything ourselves, you know, we don't have a central kitchen. So we're making everything ourselves, all handmade by our teams. Um, it's very important for the consistency. Um, Joe, you've said that kitchen staff will forever be pirates. We're a dysfunctional <laughs> bunch of people. Tell us more. No, I just think, you know, we, in most industries, you obviously have work colleagues, um, for me and my experience in hospitality, the people that you work with, you see more than your family. Mm-hmm. 
And um, when you are in a kitchen that's hot, there's knives, pans, fire, hot <laughs> <all> oil. <laughs> yeah, all, you know all these things. Um, you you are very much that that crew of pirates that are steering the ship, swashbuckling yeah. through the night. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Making sure we're getting to port. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it attracts it's, it a certain that. type, and it's a hard-working yeah. type. And it's it's very um, it's not for everyone, but mm-hmm. I do feel that people that do it, they are the most passionate people. You have to be. Um, and I believe that it's not just about the kitchen. It's also about, you know, the team in front. Mm-hmm. And coming together as a whole, everyone needs to be on that trip, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Joining us in the studio this afternoon is a culinary director of Tasha's Group, uh, one of the key people responsible for the flavours of four brands, Tasha's, Avalie, Flamingo Room and Galaxy Bar. Jill Lockers is with us. We're going to be talking about how to build a brand and some of the new dishes on the menus at some of those beautiful restaurants next. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well. Live well. We love introducing you to the chefs, the creators, the names and the inspirations behind some of our favourite restaurants. Some are homegrown heroes, some have come internationally and today joining us in the studio is the culinary director of Tasha's Group. So behind Natasha herself is Jill Lee Ockers, um, responsible for them, the flavours, the training, the restaurants of some of my favourite restaurants in Dubai. They've got four brands, Tasha's, Avli, Flamingo Room and Galaxy Bar. Um, can I ask then, some of those concepts have been created right here in Dubai. How on earth do you begin to create a concept? What are some of the initial building blocks that go in place, Jill? Um, I think a lot of one-on-one time with Natasha. Uh, She gives me keywords and just a lot of inspiration as to what her vision is. Um, With Flamingo Room, I think one of the biggest um, things that I pulled from was it was her favorite food to eat when she was on holiday. I love that idea. Yeah. And um, we played on that. So, you know, it was a great Caesar salad, a really beautiful grilled crab leg, for example. Um, So it was quite easy to put that into concept. Um, And the same goes across the board for the rest of the brands. It's been how many years now since Flamingo Room opened? Um, Going into five. Wow. Yeah. And there are some favourites. I mean, I've just been, you know, getting poetic about the (laughs) calamari Mozambique but you are introducing some new dishes how do you decide what comes off and what stays on and if I mean I know you'd never remove the calamari but if there was a big reaction to something no longer being on the menu would you bow down to the customer in most cases we do do a data analysis report and make sure that we're not taking off anything that is a fast mover or a big seller um, so that we are only you know reinventing and making sure that the the ones that don't aren't yeah. really fan favorites come off. So you you always about best best foot forward, yeah. the kind of all all thriller, no no uh, no filler. <laughs> exactly. So what's going on then? So um, Flamingo Room is coming out with a few new dishes, uh, which is our you know baby brand for the first concept store that we had in the region. Um, Go on, make us hungry. Go on. <laughs> we've got 10 new um, a la carte items, five new desserts. So it's quite a big change um, launching at the end of this month. It's going to be quite spectacular. Uh, beautiful scallop crudos, um, a very old school asparagus crepe filled with stunning herb cream cheese and topped with the hollandaise sauce and Yum. gratinated. It's quite decadent. 
um, a salmon wellington to share. Ooh, so very, very nice. old school and decadent. And then I take on a Sunday roast, which is not really what everyone thinks it's going to be, but it's a 600-gram ribeye on the bone, wow. grilled to perfection, um, served with an amazing mushroom jus and some great crispy boulanger potatoes and broccoli mustard sauce. So it's it's reminiscent of, you know, sitting around a table for Sunday lunch. What about dessert? Dessert, a really stunning, fresh, light, creamy panna cotta. Mm. Um, I'll take... I dare to say on a jelly and custard. <laughs> I love that um, idea. Yeah. Um, so a beautiful velvety, creamy vanilla panna cotta topped with a house-made blueberry jelly. Um, and, you know, dusted with some blue, uh, blueberry dust and then topped with, of course, a gold leaf, of you course, know, to make it a bit glamorous. Um, and then a twisted canelle, which... We've kind of played with a bit. Um, it's got flavors of a uh, very Cape Malay um, Sunday treat called a cook sister. Um, mm-hmm. So we've taken those flavor profiles, dusted with a bit of coconut. So, yeah, I think it's going to be going to be a good, gorgeous, good launch. It really does. Yeah. Now, you are really passionate about travel as well. And it sounds like you're bringing together some amazing flavors. You talk about Flamingo Room being inspired by some holiday eats of Natasha herself. Where have you gone for inspiration on the food front in terms of other countries and cities that have really stayed with you? I think my most, uh, funny, funny enough, I, I'm sure Natasha will have a giggle, but my most memorable eating trip was Athens. Um, I really part of the Avli research. <laughs> yeah, it was. And um, I think of, we've, you know, we've traveled all over and we've gone to a lot of locations. But for me, it was really just one of the, one of the most eye-opening and just one of the most, I don't know, I think it was just so heartwarming to be there with her um, and that connection to how much she loves Athens mm-hmm. was really just so touching for me. And it's not just about going to a city and saying, okay, I like that dish, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that on the plate in Dubai. It's about putting things through your lens, through your experience, responding to what a Dubai diner might want as opposed to someone in Athens. Is there an example of something you ate on that trip that's now on the menu at Avli that you think you can draw a line between the inspiration and the dish? Um, I think we the, the baked orzo pasta that's currently at Avli, um, we had a version of it at a restaurant in Athens, um, kind of on the coast, um, very light, very bright, um, but we've made it a lot more decadent, um, yet still the same flavor profile. And it's, you know, just this dish that comes to the table, it's been baked in the oven, it's got a very fresh fish stock that we make in-house, beautiful grilled seafood. Um, and just when it comes to the table, it's just something decadent and, yeah, okay, delicious. Hungry. <laughs> I had a chicken salad for my lunch. You're not helping, Jill, at all. Sorry. Um, can I ask you about the sustainability factor? Because it's becoming, obviously, increasingly important for us as individuals to be making some good choices. But I think also restaurants, hotel groups have a big responsibility as well um, when you think about their footprint. What are some of the things perhaps happening behind the scenes at Tasha's Group that we as diners might not be tuned into aware of at all that really does have sustainability front and centre as, as a choice that you, that you make as a culinary director? 
I think sustainability is a big thing and, you know, it's got a lot of weight, Mm -hmm. the word sustainability. Um, What we have started doing more as a brand, especially in Avli, because the menu is so big and, you know, the sharing plate feel with the Mercedes to start is cross-using ingredients. So taking, for example, octopus, using it in a carpaccio, using it as a grilled main, using it in the baked orzo, but making sure that when it sits on the table, that it's all completely a different flavor profile. It's all distinct. It's all distinct to its own way. And you're Mm -hmm. not just reading, let's say, octopus. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think starting on that note, besides, you know, um, single uses of plastic and making sure we as bio as we can be, just thinking about things so that you're not just bringing in one ingredient for one dish. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a really difficult question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. <laughs> if anyone is going to go to any of your four babies over the weekend, you know, Tasha's Flamingo Room, Avli, Galaxy Bar, is there a dish on any of those menus that you feel kind of represents your foodie philosophy? Or conversely, anything that you feel like if you go there and you don't order that, you haven't had the experience? I know, I told you. I know. I'm not even sorry, (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean, obviously with Flamingo Room, it's the Calamari Mozambique. I think more to the to the fact that maybe now you have a bit of an inside scoop as to yeah, what are, makes are, the dish And I think great. that's really important to have yeah. a, bit of, a bit of appreciation of what might go into creating a dish. You, yeah. you start to pick out the flavours a little bit, like, oh, there's the lemon butter I can taste, or the, oh, I see the Portuguese flavour that Jill was talking about. Yeah. It's iconic. I, well, yes, it is very much for that location. Um, I think Avli, I, I know this is so simple to say, but our Greek salad our Greek salad's got three types of dressing. You know, it started as just a normal salad dressed, but then we added a crushed tomato dressing that's grated on order and mixed with a different type of Greek seasoning. There's the vinaigrette that dresses everything else. And then there's a Greek herb that we use, a Greek herb mix that we use. Um, and I think when people are say, oh, a Greek salad, it's just like, you know, yeah, a Greek salad. But there's actually quite a lot of love that goes into our one. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> consider your work well and truly done here. You made us all incredibly <laughs> hungry, Jill. Thank you so, so much. It's really interesting to hear what's been happening behind the scenes. And as you say, new dishes launching end of this month. Yeah, <gasps> Flamingo Room and Avli. See, even even you dedicated diners will have something new to look forward to. Jill, thank you so, so much, Jill. Oka speaking to us, Culinary Director at the Tasha's Group. We are staying with food. We're talking hyper-realistic cakes with an artist. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We've got an artist in the studio this afternoon. Abiel Said is... An artist specialising in hyper-realistic paintings, but is extending that talent to hyper-realistic cakes. So bringing subjects to life, but sometimes a bit confusing. How do you know when you're looking at a cucumber or an apple? Only to find out it's cake. It is a wow moment when you glance at her Instagram. It's at misscake.ae and a bit joining us live in the studio now. Thank you so much for being with us. Now, as I said, you are an artist, both on paper and in cake. Um, well, how did you get into art and how have you, how does that, you know, play a big role in your life now? First of all, thanks for having me You're today. You're so welcome. And um, yes, um, 
Uh, I th- uh, started uh, in art uh, for so long. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, um, I have more than uh, 15 years uh, in art. As an artist, I'm working as an artist. Uh, the last five years or six years, I shifted to abstract art. Okay. So I'm uh, in paintings. I'm just doing the abstract arts, and uh, um, how it shifted to cakes. <laughs> uh, I was doing just pranks, and it was just things. Uh, like what do you mean doing pranks? pranks? Cake, cake pranks. <laughs> I was how? Doing, uh, I. I do. I have done the uh, realistic uh, cakes just as a pranks at first. Yeah, I love doing these. So tell us about some of the things you've created from cake that look like something completely uh, different. Um, I'm usually doing the uh, realistic uh, cakes as uh, uh, fruits, uh, faces, figures. Uh, yes. So something that look. It, it, it's, it's a real mind trick you know it might be something that looks savory you know a burger or a cucumber yeah and when you cut into it it's yes. this it's this sweet treat how how did you start to develop this technique and can you tell us some of the special tips and tricks that you might be using uh maybe the um, uh the skills as a sculptor and as, as an artist played a big role mm-hmm. in, in that and helped me in this um there is no specific technique, lots actually. Of pra- lots of practice. Yeah, it was just the uh, the skills that I have uh, as a sculptor and, and as an artist. Uh, of course, I'm using the tools and uh, the... Uh, tell, tell us about the first one you made. Is it something you made for your sister? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it, it was... Uh, first one I made, it was uh, just um, uh, pranking my sister. Uh, it was in a late Al-Adha. We were doing the uh, biscuits and bakings one day before that. And uh, I pranked her because she was uh, refusing to help with us. It was just a simple thing. And this, is this the plan for the future then? Are you looking to be a cake artist full time? Uh, yes, uh, I'm thinking to shift it as a business also. It will be fun because uh, so many people loved it. Yeah. A message here saying, I've just looked at her Instagram and it's amazing. Thank so you. it's misscake.ae. Thank you so much. Dot AE. And yeah, you might look at it and go, okay, it's just a photo of a banana. Or, you know, there's a photo of an apple. It's yeah. not. It's cake. Um, so would you take commissions then if someone wanted to get in touch with you and say, uh, I want to prank someone with, yeah. I don't know, a handbag? <laughs> yeah, or... it's so fun. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but uh, the commissions and also uh, uh, to sell the cake, I, I'm going to do this after October okay. to get the license and everything. Yeah. Watch this space. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for coming and sharing your passion. Um, and I think, yeah, one to watch. Do you watch baking shows? Uh to be honest no I think sometimes could, I, I think sometimes could, but I'm not like a regular I watching. think you could win them that's yeah. all I'm saying yeah for sure you should yeah. so for anyone who wants to check it out misscake.ae we're talking food on the show this afternoon sweet savoury and otherwise so do get in touch if you want to share your recommendation we love to hear where you're going at the weekend what you're eating if there's a place you've been recently and it could be an old favourite or somewhere you've just discovered that you think oh my goodness more people need to know about it let us know. Give us a shout. We'll love to give them a bit of love on the radio. Um, and as I said earlier, I've 
honestly discovered some brilliant places through your recommendations. So whether it is a hidden gem or something that is worthy of the plaudits it already has, let us know on 4001. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. I think it's so important and so interesting to learn more about the ingredients that we bring into our homes, that we see on the shelves. And speaking to us now from Dibba Bay Oysters is the founder himself, Ramey Murray, the founder and CEO of Dibba Bay Oysters. And here to talk about what they've been up to, what to do with those oysters and to celebrate an amazing certification that they've recently received. He's joining the studio until half past four. So tell us, Ramey. You've been a busy man. Tell us about the Friend of the Sea certification. Why is it so significant? And what did you need to do, attain, prove in order to get it? Uh, Yeah, well, firstly, thank you for having me. Very welcome. Great to have me on. Um, Yeah, so the Friend of the Sea certification, it's a sustainability certification. Um, and it's, uh, it's, there's, there's two types. There's the f- Friend of the Earth uh, for land-based agriculture and then the Friend of the Sea for, for aquaculture. Uh, it's something that we're very proud of and had to put a lot of work in to, to get because it, it's probably one of the most respected uh, third-party international certifications mm-hmm. you can get. Um, and it's, it's very important because we talk a lot, or I, I talk a lot about the sustainability of oyster farming. We talk a, a lot about what we're doing across Ndiba. Um, but it's it, it's good to get that verification and that, and and just have that sort of uh, professional outfit come in and and really audit us. And uh, that yeah. must be interesting, for, you know, to get feedback mm. on things you need to do in order to reach that level. But as you say, to be recognised, that means you're the only the only certified aquaculture farm in the region. Yes. Um, but sustainability means an awful lot of things to to lots of different people. But as you say, to get validation from an outside body and be able to say, you know, mm. internationally. This is who we are. This is what we stand for. And I know you put food and flavor at the forefront as well, but to be able yeah. to back up one of your main messages and priorities must be, must be really meaningful. Um, thank you for being here. I know it's, I know it's yeah. a drive from, from Dibba. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, the seasonality? Because we're coming out of summer now. What mm-hmm. happens in the waters there at Dibba year round? And what does that mean, I guess, for the oysters that we can mm-hmm. find? Um, well, of course, oysters are, are filter feeders, so they're feeding on the, the natural phytoplankton um, and microalgae in the ocean. So this is the wonderful thing about oysters is that they're, uh, we're not feeding them a pellet, we're not feeding them anything, they're feeding naturally. And, the fe- and what they feed on changes throughout the year, depending mm-hmm. on the season. So over the summer, there's actually uh, a little bit less uh, phytoplankton in, in the water, uh, and so the, they get a bit... Uh, they get a bit skinnier, um, and so there'll be less fat, and so there's less glycogen in the meat, so that means a little bit less sweet. So this actually gives a di- totally different taste profile, which um, a lot of people actually quite quite enjoy over the summer. But now we're through the summer, and the, the phytoplankton levels have risen again. They're now fattening up, so there's higher glycogen, and so they're becoming sweeter and sweeter. I've been to the facility and it's amazing to see the team there and the way the oysters are monitored and graded and, and, and looked after. Um, you've said in the past that this started with a crazy idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, I think it still is. But... <laughs> I think it's, it's a, a certified crazy idea yeah, now. Yeah. Um, what was that initial crazy idea and what did, I, I don't want to say success, but what did you think it could look like when you first started Dibba Bay Oysters? Um, honestly, in the beginning, it was uh, we did a very small experiment. It was a little pilot that we did, and um, and I was a, and I was actually looking into various species 
that could work in this climate that that hadn't been tried. So I was taking a completely fresh look at what what was possible here. Um, but it was very important. I wanted something to work here that we wouldn't need to change the environment. We wouldn't mm-hmm. need to create an artificial environment for it. It's something that could be int- introduced and 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 farmed naturally. Um, so oysters was something we we tried, and it was actually quite a surprise hit um, because. In Europe, for example, it takes two or three years to grow an oyster. So we started this pilot and I was like, oh, it's going to take like a couple of years before we have anything meaningful out of this. Um, But after the first six, seven months, we had a fully grown oyster. So that was the kind of like moment. Mm. Um, And that, yeah, just sort of led from there. I realized we had something, um, tasted them. They were amazing. Um, And so that it just all sort of rolled from there. I think what's been so amazing is to see how internationally you are going and being served in the most amazing resorts and restaurants around the world so where where now which countries locations are getting those delicious packages of Dibba Bay oysters Ramy? Yeah well we've put uh we've been putting a lot of effort into getting access to to different jurisdictions it's not straightforward with shellfish you can't just pack something off to another jurisdiction. Good <laughs> yeah <laughs> it would exactly. be, be worrying if you could. <laughs> exactly exactly so um uh, we, we're, we're sending quite a lot to Hong Kong and uh, we're just about to start uh, dealing with Singapore. Um, our, our main market remains here. Like we, we've, got a, we've got a wonderful following here and, mm. um, and, and the market keeps growing. We're in the supermarkets, we're in, we're in lo- loads of hotels. The, the, sp- the support here in the local market is phenomenal. Homegrown hero in the <laughs> studio this afternoon, Ray Murray, the founder and CEO of Dibba Bay Oysters. We're going to talk next about what to do with them when you pick them up from the shelves and spinnies. And if you're not up for cooking, preparing, why well, you can go and enjoy them around town. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With spinnies. Eat well, live well. Introducing you to a really important ingredient, I guess, for want of a better phrase, a homegrown hero. Dibba Bay Oyster Company has obtained the Friend of the Sea certification, making it the only certified aquaculture farm in the region. And joining us now is Ramy Murray, the founder and CEO. Um, Ramy, how, how do you eat yours? Um, and on a given day, how many oysters do you think you eat? Uh, I'm sort of slow and steady. Like I'll have probably a few a day, um, um, but... All, all the time. All the time. <laughs> um, and how do I like them? I, I like to experiment big time, like of di- just dif- different sources that we can have and different different ways of eating it. Um, so I, I appreciate all, all different manner of uh, methods. And cooking as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, yeah, we've actually just introduced uh, grilled oysters into our outlets. Uh, we have a couple of outlets. and So, so. you've got, I, I guess it's kind of like a, it's a really beautiful little shack. And, yeah. and I say that in a kind of very yeah. Instagrammable, you know, yeah. um, there in Jumeirah, in one of the mm-hmm. fishing villages. And you've just opened quite close to here in uh, at JBR, your first licensed. Yes. Can you talk us through the menu? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a very simple focused menu, obviously oysters. Uh, so it's a, the concept is, it's sort of like a tapas bar concept in, in that you, we, we do platters of oysters. We've got locally smoked salmon as well. We've got some local, locally produced burrata. Um, we do a little bit of regional caviar. Um, but the, the focus is, is absolutely oysters. So um, we've got all the different sizes. We do a grilled version as well. And, um, and then we've got all, the di- all different types of sauces as well. Perfect to enjoy by the sea. Absolutely. Now, you are for sale in Spinney's. And mm-hmm. it have to be truthful. It's one of the items that I see. I'm like, I wish I had the guts to pick that up and know what 
to do with it. Mm-hmm. How did that relationship start and what's the response been like from, from customers? Yeah, um, well, actually, Spinney's were the first uh, supermarket to get behind us. Um, so we've been in Spinney's for at least three years, I think. Um, and so they, they, they came to us and just said, look, uh, we, they, they appreciated the quality. They appreciated that we were local, mm-hmm. locally grown. And so they really got behind us and helped us uh, get into Spinney's. Um, and but if yes, of course, shucking oysters can be a bit intimidating. Um, thankfully, our oysters are probably some of the easiest to open really? because uh, they're quite they're they're quite uniform in their shape. Um, the shell is not overly thick, um, so they're, they're quite quite simple to open. Uh, I have a tutorial online I bet uh, you do. <laughs> about how to open them. <laughs> um, and actually, not to plug our place too much, but uh, from our stores, uh, from our two outlets, you can order shucked oysters. And we've oh, got easy. like special packaging for it and everything so we can we can deliver it. So. Um, a question here from, uh, from Zach saying, are there any health benefits to oysters? I mean, I'm going to say yes, but I've no idea what they are. Remy? Um, <laughs> Oysters are extremely healthy. Um, they're full. They're full of protein. There's two or three grams of of, of protein in, in a Dibba Bay oyster. Wow. Uh, they're full of zinc, magnesium, B vitamins. Like it's uh, it's it's all on our website. There's a whole big list. It pack, uh, but it packs a punch. It, it really it really does. Yeah. So in terms of flavor profile, right now, we said you're moving into that kind mm-hmm. of fattier, little bit sweeter season. Mm-hmm. So if someone's going to swing by the supermarket on their way home tonight, or someone wins this 500 dirham voucher to treat themselves to some gorgeous ingredients there, what mm-hmm. would you recommend we do with them? Keep it simple. Oysters mm-hmm. for beginners. What do we need? Uh, well, I would absolutely, if you're have, trying any oyster, any type of oyster for the first time, have the first one plain. Um, and what you're thinking about, oy- oysters are wonderful because the human body, all we can taste in our palate is, is sweetness, is salt, is acidity and, and, and umami. Which, uh, and so it, our, our taste is made up of a combination of all of these. Oysters have this wonderful natural saltiness from the ocean um, and they have this uh, real sort of high umami levels from all the protein. And then you have, you have the sweetness from the, from the glycogen, from the fat. And so that's why you would always pair an oyster with lemon or vinaigrette because it, it brings that acidity. And so what you're looking for is to balance that. And when you balance it just right, it just ticks all the boxes on the palate. zings. Yeah. So you, you start off and assess the oyster, go, how sweet is it? How salty is it? And then you can maybe add a squeeze of lemon or a little bit of vinaigrette, uh, but build it up and just find, find the balance. Making me hungry. So you're off to Singapore next week. Mm-hmm. What happens at a seafood expo? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it, it's an industry industry event where uh, you you go and it's for it's for meeting distributors and potential customers in the region. Uh, uh, we we're very lucky being based in the UAE. It's uh, that sort of classic thing. We're right between it's east and hub. west. It's a hub. It genuinely is. Um, so we're we're very proud, and we have a huge advantage uh, because we're in this pristine environment in northern Fujairah, Um but we're only ninety minutes away from Dubai Airport, so we can we can harvest in the morning, and we can we can deliver to all these places same day. Um, That's so it's, amazing. so it's, it's, it's a real benefit that we have. And so we're, we're getting real traction and, and like the, the brand is really spreading. I think it's just really 
it's, it's just a really fantastic kind of homegrown story, to be honest, to be able to... Can you imagine, you know, going to the Maldives and sitting down and thinking, oh my goodness, those oysters are from Fajera. And the, we, and the we toilets, actually do the toilets export rack, to the Maldives. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. and, the, and the, the loose rack ceramic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, thank you. So. <laughs> <laughs> homegrown heroes, both essential. <laughs> but thank you for coming in. Really do appreciate it. And massive congratulations on the certification because I know how much you care about mm. being mindful of the environmental impact of harvesting, growing those oysters and to get that validation from a really well-respected body, I think means means the world to you guys and I think for you know much more conscious consumers as I think we are becoming, um, it's great to have that literal stamp of approval. Um, more information, of course, on Dibber Bay Oysters on their Instagram and yes, tutorials abound for eating, shucking and more. Uh, Dibberbay.com if you fancy a nosy on that website. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We talk food, entertainment, going out, staying in every single Friday afternoon. And it's staying in. We're talking now with Lindsay Trivers. She's the CEO and founder of The Tasting Class. And uh, you've brought a bit of a party, Lindsay. You've brought in some bottles as we're talking mocktail and drink trends. This is an area that has absolutely exploded. I was in Spinneys the day and it was a whole aisle of kind of non-alcoholic distilled spirits, um, kind of exciting mixes, non-alcoholic beers. I mean, this is obviously your industry. What have you seen from the inside? I will agree that it is absolutely exploding. Um, and it's quite interesting, actually, who is interested in drinking these products. Interesting. Okay, go on. What kind of demographic are, um, we, are we looking at? Well, I guess when I first started um, seeing these pop up, I thought, okay, they're for the designated drivers of the world, the pregnant ladies of the world. But actually, there's um, a lot more people that are getting into them, people mm-hmm. who simply want to reduce their alcohol consumption when they're going out, um, people who do not drink at all, but they want to have a more elevated experience That's in their husband. beverage choice. That's my husband. So my husband doesn't drink and he is um, he hasn't drank alcohol in a long time, but he's sick of going out and drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the solution is here. The answer is here. And it's, as you say, that kind of elevated idea of really interesting flavor profiles. Are we seeing any trends in terms of some of the ingredients that are being used, I guess, in in these bottles that you brought in in particular? What are you noticing? Well, what I first started seeing coming onto the market were juniper-flavored botanical spirits, or uh, they're not actually spirits, but botanic infusions. Um, but since then, they it has grown to bring in other flavor profiles that we don't normally find in our non-alcoholic beverages, such as um, a lot of smokier flavors, different um, types of herbs that we don't traditionally see in beverages, um, lots of the dried spices. So I think one of the big differences we have here with these uh, no-low products is that there are actually trying to build the complexity, meaning the specific layers of flavors in these bottles. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with your syrups, it's just one flavor, simple, straightforward, and also very high in sugar, where these, sometimes they have sugar, but sometimes they're completely sugar-free. And that's not like a gimmick. They just don't have sugar. Remy Murray was just talking to me off air about um, the frustration he has about kind of finding a good non-alcoholic drink to pair with the oysters. And you do a lot of work with the tasting class around pairings. And this is, you know, work with some, some amazing chefs and kind of curators of food putting nights together. When you're looking at some of these drinks, and we can name track them um, if you want to talk about some of your favourites. Are there any foods that you think do work particularly well? Are we even seeing evenings in Dubai dedicated to bringing food and some of these drinks together? I think you can absolutely use these for wine and food pairing. On the topic of oysters in particular, um, I would uh, approach it to other sort of classic pairings that you have with oysters that tend to be really high in acid so and also um, quite 
like herbal and light in their mm-hmm. flavor profile. So if you use one of these juniper infusions with um, a lemon base and maybe some sparkling water um, and mix it together in a very artisanal way, I think you could end up very easily with a great product for oyster pairing. And this would work uh, across a lot of different foods. Just give me the food and I'll tell you. All right. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've got a message here from uh, Swathi saying, could you use some of these drinks as replacements in your favorite cocktails? Absolutely. Um, I think that's actually how they started is you could just do a straight up um, exchange with the Mm -hmm. juniper ones with the tonic, for example. So a nice, easy thing you can make at home. But also um, you can use them in uh, more complex ways as well. And they are meant to be used um, sort of in a, you know, 30 or 60 mil pour and mixed with other other um, beverages or juices or seltzers to create something new, like a mocktail. Do you have a favorite? Oh, well, I brought three of my favorites today. Okay, yeah, go yeah. on. Let's talk us through them. Okay, great. Well, the first one I've got here, and these are all available from Spinney's, of course, but I've got the Strike Juniper. Um, I've had a lot of the juniper-flavored ones, and this one has some of the actual realist juniper flavor that I've found. Um, other than that, or next one along, I've got uh, Chastity London Botanical Blend in Rangpur Lime and Juniper. Mm-hmm. This one is just really punchy, really intense, really concentrated flavor. So I love that because I know I'm still going to be able to taste it when I mix it with other things. And then to step away from the juniper infusions, I've got one by Crosship here called Dandy Smoke. And this one, you know, the smoke actually smells like barbecue smoke. And they've built in some pine notes and um, clove and cinnamon. Sounds like we're talking about cologne rather than something to drink. I need to get my nose in that, Lindsay. They actually are made a very similar way. (laughs) What about at home? Because... A lot of what you do at the tasting class is you come to homes and you do a lot of education around different drinks. Um, What do you think we can do? And I mean, in a kind of very accessible, easy way to, I guess, elevate our at-home entertainment when it comes to having guests over. What's a bit of tried and tested in your time? Well, one great thing about uh, these products is if you go to their website, they're all trying to educate you how to use them. So there'll be recipes right there. Um, But I think just just play with them. And also, if you are someone who, uh, you know, enjoys getting out your shaker and mixer tins, then (laughs) then you really can play with these. Have you done anything like that with with people entertaining at home with, I don't know, a drink station or garnish station? What can be fun? Oh, we've done it all. Um, We actually teach uh, mocktail and cocktail classes just a bit of fun home entertainment and what I love about these products is that they're incredibly inclusive everyone can play along mm-hmm. um, so we do those and then for um, yeah for my home entertainment I love to uh, you know have people around and I often will set up a DIY cocktail station so I'll put out all the equipment all the ingredients and then people can go have a little fun making their nice. own drink. Um, I know Okay, this is a bit of a weird confession. I have an iron deficiency, which means apparently I love crunching ice. It Ah. is fact. I do love ice. (laughs) Milani is nodding in the booth. I have a massive cup of ice before the show. What about ice and mixing drinks in general? What do you tend to recommend? What works in certain, you know, combinations here? Do we need to up our ice game? We abs. uh, I would love it if everyone upped their ice game. (laughs) I think we overlook ice as a crucial ingredient to our to our drinks. It always makes me think of the episode of Friends where Phoebe's put in charge of cups and ice and she's there being like crushed, cubed, <laughs> dry. Girl after my own heart. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So how can we? Um, well, it's... Uh, 
There's a few ways we can do it. The size of your ice really matters. Basically, the smaller the chunks, the quicker it's going to melt and your drink will get diluted. So if you are you know, drinking something poolside, then crushed ice might be great because you actually want to hydrate. Mm -hmm. But if you're having a slow evening sipper, then going for a larger sphere or large cube of ice is actually going to melt slower uh, and but still maintain the... Um, the integrity of your beverage, if you will. We're seeing this in restaurants as well, you know, this kind of artisanal ice where it can just be, as you say, like a beautiful, clear sphere with the name of the restaurant almost kind of branded in and stamped on. And that's any opportunity to, you know, have an Instagram moment. Um, and in terms of garnishes... Any tips and tricks there? Oh, yeah. For home garnishes, I think this is just an easy way that you can improve the presentation of your welcome drink when people come over. Um, my favorite easy tip is always two garnishes, always a citrus, <laughs> and always a herb. Okay, yeah. such as what? Yeah, um, well... Uh, there's a lot of favorite combos that I have, and they also bring huge aromatics. So I love having um, grapefruit with mint and lemon with basil and rosemary with orange. And, you know, depending on what's in the glass, because you want it to oh kind of line goodness. up as well. Host a party for me, Lindsay, please. Absolutely. Um, I've got a question here from Graham saying, um, are they healthy, e.g. have health benefits or just not unhealthy? I think that's a really good distinction, actually. When you think about kind of, and there has, unfortunately, for my diet drink habit this week been some bad news about sweeteners being linked to strokes and heart issues yeah. I've chosen to willfully ignore those um, but I guess when you're looking at those kind of artificial sweeteners you mentioned syrups and um, whereas this perhaps is I mean could there be any actual benefits to some of the ingredients functional gut um, health I don't know well for um, the uh, botanical infusions that we're talking about specifically. I'm not currently aware of any health benefits, but another trend that's really taking hold of the drink industry is actual functional beverages. So, you know, forever we've known that coffee helps you perform a little bit better, but that whole area is growing. Whether, um, you know, you want to drink for digestion or you want to drink for focus or mm -hmm. you want to drink for... Um, uh, immunity. Uh, there are now like very specific categories of um, beverages that you can get that are going to help you. And they're not all sort of um, chemical st uh, stimulus as well. Some of them are, you know, we're, we're reaching into the plant-based universe and finding these natural ingredients and then making them taste great in bottled drinks. So I'd had some very bad kombucha experiences. <laughs> Horrible. Absolutely hated it. And then what I've found is actually some restaurants here in Dubai, you know, we live in we live in Jumeirah Way and, you know, a lot of unlicensed restaurants on there would have amazing food. And we were at O'Farley Brothers last week and they did a really delicious sour cherry kombucha. It was beautiful. I know the guys at um, Eleven Woodfire have a white and a red kombucha. And it's just been really interesting to see how this area of, as you say, you know, low and no has been embraced and are really accompanying some of some of the food. It's going to be an area. It's going to be an area to watch, I say. So I'm not I know it'd be like it's a bit of an impossible question. But out of the three you've got in front, if someone's going to put their hand in the pocket and the way home from work today at Spinney's, what would be your top pick? Maybe the most versatile or a beginner's Ooh, I think the beginner one would be the Chastity London Botanical and the Rangpur Lime and Juniper. Um, I feel like this embodies everything that you want from a NOLO botanical infusion. It's got strong flavor, but also the mouthfeel. That's kind of the tricky thing with these is to get it to actually feel the same on your palate. Mm -hmm. But they... Um, 
you know, they've included elements that add viscosity. They've added a little bit of pepper, which isn't overwhelming, but it kind of recreates a burning sensation. So it's the full experience. Yeah. We're also seeing um, kind of so-called bars opening up, serving this in Dubai, in Saudi as well, of course. So super interesting to to see this area develop. And it's great that you, who you know normally work with alcoholic you know, licensed um, areas, are embracing this and I guess catering to a demographic that wants to be having the ritual um, of mixing and drinking and, and spending time together. So thank you for highlighting it. That's every, right. every day's a school day, Lindsay. And for anyone who wants to find out more about the services you offer, consultancy, of course, tastings, education, what's the best way of getting in touch with you? Um, you can check us out on either Facebook or Instagram or our website. Um, our handle is The Tasting Class across Instagram and Facebook and then The Tasting Class thetastingclass.com for our uh, online webpage. Thank you so, so much. I might, I might steal one of those bottles on the way up. Clink, <laughs> clink, clink, clink all the way to the car park. Lindsay Trivers, thank you so, so much. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.